Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. My name is Evan Barton, and I'm your host who helps create conversations with the movers and shakers of a growing tech center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Grow With Us is a podcast that highlights the work of In Tulsa and informs you about the exciting and innovative work being done around the city by its best and brightest. In Tulsa's mission is to connect talented individuals and companies to stimulate economic growth in Tulsa and to create more prosperous communities across the region. Each episode, Grow With Us discusses the growth of opportunities, the growth of communities striving for change with the tech and innovation that is changing the landscape of Tulsa. On a special episode that is commemorating our one year of Grow With Us, this week we're in conversation with Jake Cronin, the Director of Research and Analysis at Intulsa, and Patrick Hosford, the Partnerships and Research Analyst at Intulsa. Jake and Patrick, it's so great to have you on. Jake and Patrick, you guys are great colleagues and, and great friends. I'm really glad to have a conversation with you guys today about lots of really cool things, tech and data and all of those things. So I don't know. Let's let's kind of just jump in with a little introduction of who you guys are again, and uh, or at least for Patrick again. But Jake, go ahead and tell us your story in whatever way you feel comfortable. Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me on, Evan. This is a lovely. Thank you. So native Okie, grew up in Stillwater, Oklahoma, born and raised, went to Oklahoma State University in Stillwater, graduated with a degree in economics in 2008. We've actually graduated right at the peak of a recession, which is top of mind because we have a couple of interns at in Tulsa, who are also graduating in a time of, you know, economic turmoil, so to speak. And so mm-hmm. they were actually picking my brain a little bit about how I handled that. But long story short, I actually took a gap semester, worked some menial jobs to sort of make ends meet while I reflected on sort of what I want to do. You know, in hindsight, that was the, the recession sort of hit at a nice time for me to pause on life and think about what I was doing, what I wanted to do. Up until that point, I, I loved data. I loved economics. I loved finance. I thought I wanted to be a financial advisor. Had a couple of internships that went down that road. Just wasn't a good fit for me for a lot of different reasons, mainly being I wasn't very good at it. But that gave me a time to reflect on what is it that I want to do? What is it that I, what contribution do I want to make to my, my community? So I enrolled at the University of Missouri, uh, the public affairs, and to go to graduate school. It was there I sort of fell in love with this idea of using data and research to inform policy and decision makers. And I always loved thinking about policy problems. I loved having like debates with friends about what's the best way to do these things. And I would always fall back to an empirical argument. So it felt like a natural fit that I would sort of go down this road of data and research and sort of applying it in a way that sort of made me feel good about the work I do. Enrolled, went to graduate school for what felt like many years, (laughs) graduated uh, and stuck around Columbia, Missouri for a few years with a couple of different jobs. The first of which was a policy analyst position at the Institute of Public Policy. So We were a research shop that got a lot of federal grants, research grants to study different public policy issues. Had a chance to do a lot of cool work there. I really liked it. Studied a range of topics that gave me a breadth of knowledge across a lot of different policy arenas. So ranging from teen pregnancy prevention programs to early childhood education, all the way up through like Department of Corrections and how to prevent recidivism. There's a lot of really cool research. Eventually left that position and worked as an economist at the Census Bureau, stayed local in Columbia. So I sort of served as this conduit between the federal government and the data that they provide to researchers and researchers across the state of Missouri. It's a really high level academic research using really cool, interesting data sets. I loved that job. I thought it was an interesting job. There was always a bit of a missing element to it, which was like, we would do this cool research, but it felt like at the end of the day, the impact was... uh, 
there wasn't that like end product of like you do this cool research yeah. and then it just sort of is like you publish in a journal or you help somebody else publish in a journal and then what? And yeah. there was never that end satisfaction piece of like my work is being used for some sort of good. Mm-hmm. Hopefully down the road, somebody picks up some of the stuff I did in my past life and does something really cool with it. But I had an opportunity. I always wanted to get back to Oklahoma. I have family in the area, love the state of Oklahoma. And I also wanted to sort of take the stuff I, I think I do somewhat well and apply it in a, in, a, in a way that I could feel tangible, real satisfaction from the work I do and see some of the research I do being applied in real time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And so then I took this position at Intulsa last summer. Patrick, it's, this is your second time on Grow With Us. You're my, your first repeat guest. I love it. This is, I could get used to this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How, how about a quick update on Patrick? I've, I've definitely become very acclimated to Oklahoma, laying down roots. I've, uh, I'm a new homeowner. Yeah. So I've really been laying roots here in Oklahoma, exploring more, seeing all that Tulsa has. And what I've realized is it has so much. Yeah. What's uttered on a day-to-day or really what's in kind of travel articles, right? With Oklahoma and Tulsa in particular, you have your Route 66 attractions, which are namesakes like the, the Blue Whale of Catoosa. And then you have the largest repository of Art Deco architecture in the U.S. But then there's, yeah. I love Patrick for the simple fact that he is filled with nuggets of wisdom at all times. <laughs> and he is ready to just deploy them yeah. at at will. Yeah, it's we're just mapping like, out Route 66 right here. I love it. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> that's all my roots. Well, there's, yeah. So there's a little bit of taste of that. But the more you start to dive into Tulsa after, you know, a year of being here, you're like, I've only scraped the surface. And it's mm-hmm. odd for a city of a million people to actually say, after a year, I haven't even accomplished everything. Yeah. Or like, I haven't seen everything here. And not to say that I'm like out every week and crossing off lists. <laughs> yeah, the, there's a bucket yeah. list. That I definitely could means... be a bit more proactive when it comes <laughs> to getting out and seeing things. But there is so much to do here. And the fact that there is for a city of our size is remarkable. And yeah. in each little facet of of Tulsa in general, there's these distinguishable areas, which I feel like is hard to get in a city. You know, some cities kind of blend together. Um, You know, you go downtown and you've seen it all. But Tulsa is one of those places where the more you start to even maneuver out into the city, even into Mm -hmm. the suburbs, into the surrounding areas, you have such a diversity and idiosyncraticness of each neighborhood, Mm -hmm. um, whether that comes to like architectural design, food and even different enclaves yeah. um, where where people live and reside and just the uh, the amount of diversity that exists within our city of a million people is uh, is incredible. So that's what I've seen. The that's past what Patrick's been up to. That's I love what I've it. been up to the last year. That's so fun. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. You both have very similar timelines of getting to Tulsa. I mean, let's kind of talk about like what your relationship has been like over the, the year of kind of being back. And how's this past year been with Tulsa? So I grew up in, in Oklahoma, Stillwater, which is sort of straddled between Oklahoma City and Tulsa. So I remember growing up, we would always go to Oklahoma City for anything that was fun. It was the zoo. It was games at Bricktown. It was the malls and shopping and eating. Then I went away to grad school at the University of Missouri, and I was there for about a decade. And so really, I did not spend all that much time in Tulsa over the last decade. I would drive through Tulsa. I would stop. I would see a friend or two. would not really explore Tulsa. So then I came back last summer for the first time to really dive into Tulsa, and I was blown away. Tulsa grew immensely while I was gone with the Arts District, the Gathering Place, all the cool amenities and museums and coffee shops. 
blew my mind. So over the last year, you know, I have two little kids. So I probably look at Tulsa through a little bit of a different lens than you do. Mm -hmm. But the gathering place has been amazing. The Discovery Lab that recently opened up nearby has been amazing. Oh, have you got to go? I haven't I haven't been. I'm not a child, so I don't know if I'm like. I went with my sister go. just recently. <laughs> yep, and my two kids, obviously, not yeah. just my sister. And I. Um, <laughs> so that would it, would, it would work in that, hey, in that case fun. as well. But yeah, I've just been blown away. And so yeah. like I would say my relationship with Tulsa, it's one of, a, you know, oddly, it sounds like it feels like I'm like re rediscovering it. Yeah. Even though I knew it my entire life. Yeah. But I didn't know it through this lens with all these great people and communities. And so it's it's. I have a relationship, I would say, of like growing optimism and excitement to see where Tulsa goes because yeah. to see its growth just since my childhood has been has been amazing. Yeah, and you and you also get to look at it growing by the numbers and then growing by experience too, and, yeah. and culturally all of those things. So I, I think that's a really cool kind of way to see it in in full view in some ways. But Patrick, what about you? You know, I've seen, especially going to other cities post pandemic and seeing their change. I've seen this resiliency in Tulsa. It, it's a scale thing too, but we've we've managed to save a lot of what we had pre-pandemic, mm. which I think is a takeaway and a, a really Herculean and something we've championed here is we haven't seen the type of turnover and kind of creative destruction in other cities when it comes to service industry, restaurants. Uh, we've seen, I think, a, a more vibrant Tulsa emerge. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest programs that I was just amazed by and how they funneled Care, Care Act money the city itself was through the Office of Film and Music. They actually, yeah, they yes, yeah, yes. funneled it to restaurants for live performers so that they could pay live performers to pay at like to play at the restaurants. So when you're thinking about where restaurants or other live venues might be slashing funds or really kind of bringing in their budget, you know, live music is probably the first to go. When you're thinking mm-hmm. about where where are we gaining revenue, like where does a revenue come from mm-hmm. if you're a business? And when you're thinking about the, kind of the art scene and the the music scene that's so uh, and rooted here in Tulsa, that's one way that they truly implemented a bulwark and allowed Tulsa to keep its vibrancy and its musical stronghold here. Um, yeah. Which I think is really cool to kind of also think about how like, obviously you're not going to get the out of town, like bands are traveling or whatever, just because of the pandemic. Um, but you're still growing local talent, I guess, and yeah. providing that opportunity for those people. So that's like a really I mean, that's obviously a, a benefit to that program and probably why they saw that as an opportunity for them. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's all these different verticals and areas allowing different communities to grow. Like if you have a family, if there's there's something for everyone. And again, going back to the fact that there is that diversity and everyone can kind of find their way here. It's, it's kind of a testament. Yeah. Really. Oh, I love that. Let's kind of chat a little bit about what you all do in Tulsa specifically. So I'm going to kind of pose this question to, to both of you and either of you jump in. When I say research and analysis at Intulsa, how do you all tend to describe that? So, you know, we, we both wear multiple hats. You know, that has, research has a broad sort of definition, right? So I look at our work in sort of three buckets. The first bucket is which we do our internal work at Intulsa of sort of talking to companies, talent matchmaking, the placements. I sort of have one bucket of work, which is just essentially to take the data that we do on a day-to-day basis, compile it in some digestible way, and hope that the rest of the team can use that in some sort of productive way uh, to both look back at what we've done well and also predict where we might have success going forward. So I sort mm-hmm. of have this internal lens by which I, w- I look at our internal work. Second part of my work, it's really more external research around the Tulsa labor market. 
So in Tulsa sits in this larger ecosystem, and we try to play this role of having a very good eye on the labor market, particularly when it comes to the tech labor market, and trying to provide, you know, thought leadership's a, a bold term, but thought leadership around things like, where's the tech economy going? Where do we see supply and demand? And in particular, where do we find skill gaps in which some of our programmatic efforts would help to sort of su close supply demand gaps, steer graduates into the right ecosystem in the right place. So uh, Patrick and I, along with our colleague, Aaron, produce a lot of research around that, pump it out to the media and various, and various avenues, uh, as well as sort of speak internally with some of our partners around how can we sort of use this research we're doing to sort of channel all of our efforts in the right direction in the ecosystem. And then the last part of our work is what we do is, this is largely geared around what Patrick does, and I want to step on Patrick's toes, I'll let him answer this, which is working within our ecosystem with our partners at Tulsa Innovations Labs or Tulsa Remote or the Tulsa Higher Ed Consortium to sort of be this research and data analysis tool that they can use to better their programs, understand their programs to help. We, we recently worked with Tulsa Higher Ed Consortium on um, a data dashboard for Tulsa's critical jobs and sort of helping them map out where should we be focusing our efforts in Tulsa to best meet the, the growing future demand within the tech industry? So I'll let Patrick sort of take over because he he has a heavy hand in the partnership work. Yeah. If we think about how we deliver and package our data, the research that we do, we want to make sure that what we give to partners is the most responsive and up-to-date data so that they can mm -hmm. build programmatic, um, programmatic interventions that make sense, especially in light of uh, the talent we're trying to cultivate here in Tulsa. And that's where our research becomes instrumental and in a way where we can uh, give it to partners and they can actually use it. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to have a report in your hands, and then it's another thing to actually use the report and make sure that it can act as that kind of North Star for any sort of efforts you're doing. With, whether it's hiring, I mean, even some of our data, when it is used internally and we're using maybe national data that garners some insights on the Tulsa labor market, that's used for maybe insights for a company. Or if we're talking to a company and they're like, you know, what, what does a Tulsa labor market look like for this scale? We can give real-time analysis and really good sampling information on what it might look like. Same with our partner organizations. Um, so when we think about the Tulsa ecosystem and workforce ecosystem, we're talking about a real collaborative effort across industries and partners where we're working with a lot of workforce development, economic development organizations to make sure that we're producing the best talent and cultivating top tier talent right here in the region, giving them the data to feed their their efforts and make sure that they know where to go forth and making sure that we're all aligned too. Yeah. That we're all on the same page that if there's maybe duplicative conversations going on or duplicative efforts, maybe there's two programs happening, you know, contemporaneously of one another. We want to make sure that, you know, they're working together or that people are talking together and that the work that we do is largely augmented uh, amongst our industry and ecosystem partners. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this seems novel. Uh, this seems like something that, I don't know, not to, I hope we're not sounding like we're tooting our own horns or anything, but like, I don't know if other cities are doing, doing this type of collaborative programmatic data work in a specific, I don't know, like effort to build an ecosystem for a specific labor type. I don't know. I, what are y'all's thoughts on, or do you guys see any comparatives or like? I can say that from a talent attraction development side, it's completely unique what we're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, largely, you know, talent alignment 
and just general talent synergies, making sure those connections happen, have largely been left to the, the powers that be or at play. Whether that's you know your career services offices that definitely have a limited capacity, mm-hmm. or just the just online job boards where people gravitate towards and they find their own opportunities, we're kind of acting as that middle server, not only cultivating opportunities on the back end, mm-hmm. but on the front end, connecting people with those opportunities. So that's never happened. Yeah, it feels like it doesn't happen. It's (laughs) happened, but I haven't seen it at this scale, which is really interesting. Um, The fact that we can shore up programmatic investments and making sure that those programs that exist citywide also have the talent going into it and the talent in the companies demanding that. Yeah. More, it's just this huge connection and connector between all these different facets that have kind of, they've existed, but they've largely existed just kind of in the ether out there mm-hmm. on uh, if we're thinking about just city development or economic development in general there's you need the glue and and i think we're the glue okay glue <laughs> in terms of like dedicated research teams i think we are pretty rare you know there are certainly research teams about there across not only Tulsa but across the country research is typically clustered in something like an academic setting mm-hmm. or think tank or consulting firms like McKinsey and Brookings. So mm-hmm. to have sort of an in-house research team dedicated to this mission exclusively, I think is pretty rare. And we feel that we're rare sometimes with some of our partners that reach out. And, and we love that. We want to be this tool that the entire community can use to sort of guide these, these evidence-based policies forward. So we love that we're there. We're sort of I hope to a rare asset in Tulsa and we want to be as useful as possible in the yeah. entire ecosystem. I'll, I'll echo off that. Sometimes I feel like some, someone may come to us with an anecdote, right? Or someone, a program may be designed with an anecdote or maybe a, a macro level trend of, mm-hmm. oh, we know we need this across the nation, but we might be producing talent to leave our region if that's not even in demand. Mm. And I think that's where, to Jake's point, like an in-house research team that solely focuses on a really concerted metropolitan region, it's it's unique in that way. Yeah. Where we're capitalizing off maybe macro-level trends that exist, but micro-level trends that we're pinpointing. So that's when that's when it becomes really, really concerted. That's awesome. I mean, and let's kind of talk about too, like that's obviously what Intulsa's focused on too, but you guys have unique insights into kind of like why tech is even something that a, a city should pursue in its economic development too. So I'm, let's kind of hear like what you all see as like the main reason why tech is a great way to grow a city's economy. Sure. I mean, we've thought about this a lot. GKFF has thought about this prior to us even being here. So this is nothing that necessarily novel that we're going to say, but you know, Patrick and I have sort of iterated on this over the last year and sort of built out our own sort of argument for why tech. So the first and most obvious thing is tech professions pay a lot of money. They mm-hmm. are high paying professions. Software developer in Tulsa makes something like $90,000. It's $40,000 over the median wage and salary. So this is a high earning jobs. Mm-hmm. To a company that the jobs are in high demand, they have been in high demand for years and years. They will continue to be in high demand. I think particular skills in particular within the tech ecosystem are in a very high demand. Things like SQL, data analysis, Python, software development are in extraordinarily high demand. We've seen spikes across the board for the last few years. We can talk a little bit more about the sort of the current state of the economy when we get there. We are still seeing, even though you know, we hear in the news about the tech layoffs and that type of thing, we're still seeing surges in demand in Tulsa for all of these key skills and key mm-hmm. occupations. The other thing is Tulsa's been a traditional oil and gas town and a manufacturing and aerospace town. 
Those are great. Those will always be part of Tulsa's identity. We want them to be part of Tulsa's identity. They are volatile industries. Mm -hmm. Some of the occupations within those industries are at high risk of automation going forward. They are not the most resilient jobs going forward, or at least certain sectors of them are not. And so part of building up Tulsa's tech industry is sort of to provide another mechanism by which Tulsa can grow over the long term, Mm -hmm. provide another bit of resiliency or economic downturns. So when an oil and gas bust happens, or if manufacturing gets offshore or whatever the case might be, we have this to fall back on, which is largely future-proof jobs. I mean, these are very safe, very secure jobs with a future-proof skill set that we feel confident investing in over the long term. The last bit I'll add, and I'll let Patrick, I don't, I don't want to step all over Patrick's toes because I know he has some thoughts on it too. <laughs> yeah, Patrick's toes are probably bruised by now. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. But another thing is, is Brookings Institute released an article probably six months ago at this point, sort of looking back at the tech industry and where it has gone geographically over time. It's no surprise. It's, it's largely the tech industry clustered in sort of your traditional tech hubs, San Francisco, Austin, Seattle. It has largely not moved off of those in the last few years. It's still relatively concentrated in those spots, which left Tulsa in this spot. of like, well, how do we play in this ecosystem considering these industries are reluctant to move? And the beauty of a tech job is largely you can do those from most anywhere. So a software developer at Google, given a, an amenable policy that allows them to work anywhere, could do that job in Tulsa. So another thing that sort of why the tech industry is that we can pursue workers instead of industries. So we can lead with a talent-centric driven approach that allows us to bring workers from a tech industry here without the heavier lift of bringing an entire company or industry to town. So Mm -hmm. it's sort of a a right to win thing of where we feel like we have a good space to compete. Um, Tulsa Remote has done an amazing job. I'm sure you've talked on this podcast about them Mm -hmm. of bringing remote workers to town. So we're sort of leading and building the tech industry around the remote workforce and trying to bring that concentration of skills and creative energy to town to sort of get it organically flowing in that direction. So, um, okay, I don't want to talk too much. I want to pass it off to Patrick. <laughs> no, that, that was perfect. I can only add to what was said. Out of way, out of um, way. In certain points. I mean, so, so really the crux of tech's resiliency is that it's high, you know, high paying jobs during economic downturn, mm-hmm. which is so critical for thinking about how we stabilize an economy for the future. And then it's not doing away with legacy industries. It's about how do we diversify our economy to have the best mix? It's like investments. It's like your portfolios. How do we, how do we make sure that municipally Tulsa lasts? And what's so important about tech too is it's not dependent on production factors or industrial resources, which makes it so resilient. So mm-hmm. it's not tied to a lot of things. It's, it's these jobs that are sufficient and high paying, which can add to a city. So it's can detached from those, from recessions that are aligned with those more uh, lichen factors, or linked factors. I think you reset such a good point where it's the social fabric of of workforces and knowing that oh and it, it's about who's the figure in the community right like who you look up to ultimately it, it has a large impact of where you will work mm-hmm. and what you aspire to be and, you know it's like career day uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely one of those things we cannot i guess stress enough the milu or the the social fabric of workforce development and what people are exposed to and accustomed to, especially kids yeah. and uh, the type of jobs they see. And I think this is like such a great segue to you know, 
maybe like diversifying tech. Yeah. Right. How are we going to do that? Yeah. I mean, that's that that's one critical threshold there where it's getting all communities involved and making that sure that there is that figure, that factor in the community, that person who is involved in tech and has a tech job. Yeah. That way people can see that it's it's attainable. It's real. It's it's for me. And what it is, like what it even is. I mean, I, I hate to be as like elementary as like, what is it? But like, I, I think that really these past two years of getting involved in the kind of this work, it's, it's really been like, I keep coming up with different answers for what it is. I keep coming up with, oh, it's, you know, I, when I explain it to people, it's like, oh, the tech industry to me, like, you know, we kind of play in this space, X, Y, Z, like these are the factors that we consider. But like when it comes down to brass tacks or whatever, like it is something that is defined on an economic level and then also like more i guess like like you said into the social fabric and kind of like those definitions of it too and i don't know just more exposure is definitely one thing that we need in addition to the diversity which i think we're gonna end up having a conversation about which i like i'm excited about yeah it's i i think tech is gradually becoming more approachable throughout its occupation i mean we could even think like no code low code right that's mm. one way in which Barriers are being broken down. We're making it more user-centric, yeah. maybe in, in some way, where tech jobs that might have been unapproachable or you'd have to have this really... Hard in, skill set. Right, intense skill yeah. set at that um, is becoming... Can be involved in technical curriculum. Like you, like at uh, Tulsa, Tulsa Tech, part of their... Uh, they were featured for Microsoft for having a, a Power App um, integration into one of their technical courses, which largely expedited processes but were easy enough to grasp within a couple of a couple of weeks so it's implementing tech that way and making sure that it's part of the workforce but it can be used it's yeah. applicable right <laughs> it's asset accessible too. yeah for sure yeah. just to provide a little bit of you know empiricism to the to exactly what patrick is saying is tech well to set the stage even more, when Pat, when Patrick and I first started, we were exactly like you, Evan. We did not know what does it mean to be tech? Mm. What is the tech industry? What is a tech job? We went round and round about this forever. Now you're talking to two researchers. So we we applied a sort of a BLS lens to mm. this. So we actually have a firm definition that we feel somewhat comfortable with at this point. Oh, let's hear it. I'm like, I probably have never heard this before, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you have the tech industry, which is largely going to be considered something like a company, right? And then you have tech workers, which tech workers can work across all different types of industries. We have tech workers that work in our oil and gas industry. And then we have sort of your more, what you would consider your hardcore tech, which is a Google employee or Google industry. So we sort of two different lens by which we look at this and we're trying to grow both. The tech industry side of this, of the equation is the hardest piece to move because that actually requires a, a physical presence in the city of Tulsa. So mm. that's going to be either moving a company to Tulsa or organically growing a company in Tulsa. Um, the tech worker side is, is a software engineer and we applied you know, the University of Utah actually put out a nice paper that sort of said, here's all of the different standard occupation codes and here's what we consider the tech occupations within there. We've taken that, applied it to the Tulsa lens to investigate this a little bit more thoroughly. But you're right. I mean, tech is increasingly at least viewed as inaccessible, and there is some evidence that it is a little bit inaccessible to certain populations. It is largely white male. I think it's... I, I have those statistics. Yeah, Patrick, Hold please. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, so I think it, we should view this in a national context and look at Tulsa to see like yeah, let's some do benchmarks it. here. So the U.S. is six... Uh, 
according to Brookings tech definition. So have to throw that out as a verbal footnote. So the U.S. is 61% white, 65% female. I mean, the 65% male. Mm -hmm. That's the composition of tech if we're looking at um, largely white male-driven industry. And Tulsa largely exacerbates that trend where it's 74% white, 65% male. So similar, male-dominated, a little bit more white. That also, it, it doesn't skew too far. I mean, our MSA is is different than the U.S. Yeah. In, in those population statistics. But regardless to say, there's a lot of catch-up that you know, tech needs to do. Like mm-hmm. It has to catch up with, with Tulsa in regards to just the general population of Tulsa. It should look more like us than not. Yeah, 100%. That's actually something that Connor mentioned whenever he was on the podcast too, about like just how important it is to make sure that even when we're going out and trying to build these assets and trying to pitch Tulsa to people that like it's important to people that are coming into town and wanting to make a change here that they see they kind of see that there are concerted efforts into building the industry to be more representative of the people that actually live here. And obviously that's like a huge part of our our mission as an entire organization is to help make this tech ecosystem here in Tulsa more representative of the diversity that is in Tulsa. And so that means breaking down accessibility barriers. That means providing access and exposure. It means a lot of other things too that you guys are kind of measuring over time and seeing how, you know, more the more placements we get in jobs, that's just making it look more representative of what's going on, what Tulsa actually looks like uh, in the from the economic lens. And then also as that just kind of disseminates down into the cultural fabric that we kind of were just talking about. And I think we have so much room. The best is that, Tulsa has room for growth mm-hmm. and there's so much, uh, you know, growth coming. I mean, just, you know, within from 2014 to 2019, Tulsa was among the top 10 fastest growing MSAs for tech. As impressive as that is, uh, you know, we're about 34% of the size we should be as far as our tech industry goes. Mm-hmm. So if we're thinking hundred percent is we are, we are accurate of our size. We have as many tech industry workers as we need, we're about 34% right now. Interesting. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's lots of ways we're trying to do that. And when I say we, I, I don't necessarily mean in Tulsa. I mean, the whole city, the city as a whole, and the other programs that are out there building and creating things too. So I, I, I love that we're kind of a part of it, but not we're not the entire, we're not the driver, we're not the entire machine, you know, right. there's other workforce partners out there that are that want the same thing as us, which is awesome. Yeah. What I love about GKFF is the holistic approach they take to the entire ecosystem. So we sort mm-hmm. of serve as the back-end funnel of the entire sort of you know life cycle of accruing skills, getting a job, this, entire, this notion of a cradle to a career. Mm-hmm. The Kaiser Foundation was originally founded on early childhood education. I studied early childhood education. It's a pet project of mine. I'm a firm believer in early childhood education. It sort of gets to your point, though, of like you need to build that skills and that idea early in a child's life that like I can see myself in this role mm-hmm. as I as I grow and and GKFF is doing a really good job of doing high quality early child education and you know we serve at the back end of that funnel but we can only work with the sort of the you know I hate to use the notion of like kids as products but we can mm-hmm. only use the 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 back end of the funnel it's only as good as sort of the, the products that the whole funnel <laughs> yeah and so and I love that they're investing from birth all the way through the end of the funnel to the mm-hmm. careers so I think that's a huge piece of the accessibility puzzle because accessibility is really rooted in skills, right? If you have the skills and the education to get the jobs, then they're, they are largely accessible. 
The problem is skills and education, as we know from numerous statistics, is largely inequitable. Yeah. Certain schools, certain segments of the population don't have opportunities to see their peers that have gone on to succeed in a certain occupation. So they don't have that visibility into that world. They may not have the certain programming that they need, a tech programming school or something like that, where they can be exposed to these sorts of sort of skills and careers and sort of get excited about that early. Tulsa is doing an awesome job. I know Patrick has talked to some of our community partners about some of the programming they're doing in K through 12 on STEM education. That makes me really excited. The early childhood component makes me really excited. And then we can get into the whole slew of workforce development programs that Tulsa is getting in place with at the core of all of those, what makes me the most proud of sort of the work we do. It's at the core of all of those is how do we make this accessible to everybody? Yeah, They are programs built, sort of we call them bridge programs that are in development to make sure that no matter where you are, what career you have, what skills you're bringing to the table, that we're going to find a way where if you're unsatisfied or you just need some skilling to get into this new tech economy that's growing, we're going to find a way to get you into that. And that's sort of what makes me the most proud of the work we do is making the opportunities that we are trying to deliver for the city of Tulsa accessible to everybody. We sort of have the benefit of Tulsa of watching other communities grow, like Austin and San Francisco to some degree, Seattle and their tech industry grow. And sort of, you know, not that they did it the wrong way, but sort of seeing and learning from their experiences, right? And it was a largely inaccessible tech environment. Mm -hmm. There were sort of consequences of growing in that way that sort of created these inequities across the town. Residential segregation occurred because of this. You had this really uh, strong tech industry with these enormous salaries uh, occupying the best residential areas for both uh, work and residential creating these segregation patterns and sort of exacerbating some of the inequalities that we're trying to prevent. So Tulsa's had the benefit of sort of being late to the party on this to learn from other cities and how to sort of do it in a a more equitable and just way. Yeah. I mean, I hope that, I hope that late to the party doesn't mean that we can't ever attend the party. (laughs) So let me add to that. We are late to the party in certain regards. We're also first to sort of approach talent from a talent centric perspective. Yeah. Traditional economic development paradigm was attracting companies through tax incentives or sort of your traditional economic development models. It's also sort of flipped that on its head and got around this chicken and the egg problem of do we develop the talent or do we try to attack the the companies and with Tulsa Remote. And so in some ways we are a, you know, young, our tech industry is sort of still in its infancy in many ways. In other ways, we're like well ahead of the curve with Tulsa Remote and attracting remote workers and building this workforce, knowing it's really hard to attract companies, especially when you don't have the talent. So that's sort of the way we got around that sort of that predicament. So in yeah. some ways we're young and in our infancy and in some ways we're super mature and sort of very advanced. Yeah. And kind of countering even my own point that I made about like the visibility piece, like it's in, in a way it's like we're importing the visibility that we need to see, which I find interesting. And yeah. I don't know, some people might say slightly problematic, which I think has its own merits in that argument. But in a lot of ways, like coming to town, I guess coming back to town for me, it's been like really interesting to see people that um, I, I kind of interacted with in on the coast, but in Tulsa, I would be like, why are, not why are you here? <laughs> I, I never ever really say that to anybody, but like, it's interesting that you are. It's interesting the way that s- someone talked to you about Tulsa. Somebody got to you. <laughs> One of our many Tulsa ambassadors out there. I, I mean, which I'm glad that we're building slowly and surely, but it's really interesting that like so many people you're you're relying on those kind of interpersonal connections as opposed to those incentives and the the career opportunities. That's that's what's built this like network of 
I don't know, like visibility into so many different areas of the tech sector too. Yeah, I, I think often the term like human centric gets thrown out without sometimes much meaning. And uh, this is a human centric approach. Yeah, This is centered through talent, whether that's K through 12, that side of the pipeline, or even importing talent where there's talent coming in from all angles. And it's really compelling if you're an organization looking to resettle in that way, where yeah. you're seeing all this development and cultivation of really high-skilled quality talent that enjoys the Tulsa lifestyle, cost of living, and it's compelling. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, it, I, I guess thinking about it in the way of like kind of those two models that you kind of mentioned those other cities and kind of San Francisco is like, okay, we have the companies that's going to get the people excited to come work at the companies. We have the people that are cool and are doing things. And like, now the company's like, oh, wait, you have the people? Like, we'll also come too. I, I don't know. That sounds like a weird, it's a very um, dude at a party explaining it type of thing. But <laughs> that's tend to be how I explain things. <laughs> yeah. You know, part of the down, other downside is when the tech industry booms, cost of living skyrockets. Right now, Tulsa's already thinking ahead about that. We've been in conversations about how do we get ahead of this curve if our tech industry takes off, which I think it will. So with a lot of these San Francisco folks, you're actually seeing an out-migration largely in the, and that COVID sort of exacerbated that when there was no ties to your physical location. These software jobs, you could largely work from anywhere. Tulsa mm -hmm. took it, no, I don't want to say took advantage, but, you know. Capitalized. Um, capitalized, great way to put it. Capitalized on, you know, what was happening and used it sort of to our advantage to say, don't need to be tied to your physical location anymore. Mm -hmm. It was just a, a, a good thing that worked out for Tulsa. I, I think what we're trying to do as a whole ecosystem is say that you're not going to make a wrong choice with Tulsa, though, right. if that is your location. So um, I know that's a little uh, optimistic and, you know, it's it's not going to appeal to everyone's sensibilities. But like it, we are here trying to build that so that people can trust that decision a little bit more, especially from that human centric kind of approach. I, I want to keep kind of talking about like some fun I don't know, fun tidbits or really just like interesting Tulsa things that people might not know. What are some data things, data points, not data things. What are some data points that people might not really know about Tulsa or are just kind of interesting to kind of extrapolate from? I can add a couple. I have largely macro points here, but we could talk about Tulsa. I mean, you know, one of the oddest things, we have a really great financial just industry. Like we have Per capita, we actually have more people involved in finance than San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Per capita always messes with me, I'm going to be honest. I get it yeah. economically, but like, you know, anyways, this, is a, this isn't this is an analysis of my knowledge level. <laughs> we love per capita because yeah, Tulsa is a relatively small town. You're competing with something like San Francisco. And so it's a nice way for us to sort of level the playing field population and jobs wise to compare us. So. Uh. Yes, data dummy over here needed that explanation. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. <laughs> uh, the cost of living goes without saying is great here at 90, 91.6 on an index of 100, roughly 9%, you know, 8.5% lower than your benchmark, which is your US average cost of living. Another great fact because I look at it all the time, but the, the median, so the median household. So the, the price at closing to purchase a house here and the median is about 275 here in Tulsa. So the U.S. just reached over about four. So, oh my gosh, that as a we just bought a home like recently and it is the numbers scare me and are way too high. And it's all about 
like housing is such an important conversation. Yeah. Even I mean, I know we, I know we could open a whole can of worms here with that, but like what you're saying percentage wise, like the it, it's it's kind of wild. It's yeah, just I mean, crazy. our median purchasing price in Tulsa has historically been low, and it's still low compared to the nation, and we're growing less less percentage and we're we're valued correctly there's a lot of valuations too going out throughout the nation on who's overvalued um this is an analysis off moody's so lightly like a little bit overvalued but if you look at you know and this is actually dovetailing with some of that tech conversation where there's been the most techadus which is around those you know adjacent cities in california and oregon they've in even Idaho, Boise, 75% overvalued when it comes to those houses. So housing prices, largely due to demand, are skyrocketing. And that's those that initial wave. And if you look at migration patterns from tech, um, people really like sticking within that 150-mile range. There hasn't been huge transcontinental moves that have been touted, but it's been a lot of suburban moves, adjacent city moves. So when you see that happening in large tech centers, losing population, largely going to the same state or adjacent states, these states are having trouble mitigating these effects, especially financially, where you're seeing huge disparities in what was before and what is now and that growth year over year, even in Austin, has seen some pretty unprecedented growth in, in housing prices. Yeah. So it's it's reckoning that and knowing that you know that's driving also it's one component of inflation. Um, there's been a lot of components, a lot of speculation, and others just like rising, uh, rising cost of salaries, which directly ties to our, our tech shortage, or we could say is is a little component of that rising salaries conversation. Yeah, what you said or just about that really fast. I was reading an article yesterday that was kind of a, I don't know, condemning a little bit of like the mass exodus that we've been talking about, like in tech, um, saying that a lot of employers during the earlier COVID times were over, they would hire five people when they actually only needed two. Those companies are reaping the consequences of that, which is interesting. Yeah, well, you have, you know, a white hot economy that was distributing funds pretty heavily. Yeah. I know Jake's one. Jake's to, itching over there. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting about the tech layoffs, right, is, you know, a lot of different factors of which you just alluded to many of them, right? They grew too quick. The, there was a lot of economic stimulus money flowing around. Tech jobs were in super high demand during COVID because people needed to work from home. They needed a tech setup to get that set up. A lot of different reasons why the tech economy sort of exploded over COVID. And then now we're seeing that, you know, it's popular in the news today, the massive tech layoffs, Netflix and Airbnb. No, Airbnb did not. Airbnb was, just moved to remote. Yeah. That, well, there's, you could say any name yeah. and probably they did like lay off 25% of their workforce. As long as Tesla headlines. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. A lot of that's just a market correction. They yeah. exploded over 2020, over 2021, sort of falling back to earth a little bit due to numerous factors related to inflation, supply chains. Interest rates are rising, you know, you know, Elon tweeting. <laughs> Elon tweeting. Yeah. 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 That's signal signaling. Yeah. It's a yeah, market term there. Equities are down, right? Cash flows are down, right? So numerous reasons for this. The paradox in all of this is Tulsa has not, we have been largely sheltered from this to some degree. Yeah. We, our demand for software developers is still up. We're up 40% for tech jobs in terms of demand since the beginning of 2022. We have not seen this. Now, this is partly due. We're still in our infancy, so we don't have a lot of mature companies that sort mm -hmm. of exploded and have, you're seeing this market correction. But for the most part, 
we still feel very good about the direction we're taking Tulsa in terms of pushing for these types of occupations. The skill sets that we are pushing through our boot camps and through our higher education institutions are still in extraordinarily high demand. Even at these companies where you see layoffs, it's largely happening with administrative roles. Software developers are still largely sheltered from the from the, uh, the harshest of, of conditions. So we feel pretty good about this. And if anything, you know, again, also taking advantage of other places to some degree. If people are willing to lay off their tech talent, we're still seeing crazy surges in demand here. Also, we'll be glad to soak up some of that. Yeah, uh, we're, we're still here ready to welcome you with open arms. Exactly. <laughs> for, you, for all you layoffs out, I don't know if you call them layoffs, but. but yeah, the nexus between unprecedented, this unprecedented wave in tech adoption that happened from 2022, mm-hmm. or 2020 to 2022, there's the years. It's made this crazy effect on, on tech occupations and, you know, te- untangling industry from occupations, the occupations, mm. even with um, established companies because of that adoption, because how quick it happened, because you're largely still trying to build up that sector, those divisions within these within these established companies, that demand is not waning. I love this conversation a lot just because it's, it's starting to make me think about to where, where can we direct people and what can we look at from a data perspective and, and this can be Tulsa specific. This can be maybe more global, but like from from your data perspective and kind of the insights that you all have as a research team, I'd love to kind of hear the data perspective on like where you all are seeing Tulsa's funnel into in a, in a high demand, and where are you seeing maybe them not, and and where they where where people could start to direct themselves to. So it's funny you say this. We just produced, like I said earlier, the Tulsa Critical Jobs dashboard that hopefully will be going on the Tulsa Higher Ed Consortium's website in the not-too-distant future in which people can play with the data themselves to sort of configure these types of things. I will say the biggest skill gaps we still have are software developers is a huge one. The demand never seems to wane. Mm -hmm. It is always present. It is always one of the largest tech occupations that we see. And we've run some analysis. Now you can sort of pick and choose this, but almost no matter how you slice the data, there are about seven job postings for every computer science graduate in Tulsa. So in other words, there are seven job openings for a software developer to choose from for every college graduate of a computer science degree in Tulsa. So that's a huge gap, right? So if you're a computer science graduate, this is a great place to shop around for a job. Mm-hmm. Tons of demand. Supply is relatively small. Now, GKFF is in the, in the works and, and a Tulsa ecosystem largely trying to increase that supply, right? So we hope that's not a persistent problem. But nonetheless, that is sort of uh, one place I would say we have a a huge demand relative to supply. The other thing is just a shameless plug a little bit. We have a hot jobs report that we publish on our website and our social media channels every month that sort of is a pulse on the Tulsa labor market, particularly when it comes to jobs we're seeing in the tech market, where we're seeing a surge over the last month or so in particular skills that we're seeing, and we opine on those a little bit. So that would be the best place to check for recent stuff. Um, and then we will be posting dashboards and and reports to our website. So I, I encourage everybody to check that out as well. Jake and Patrick, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, is there anything, anything that you guys want to bring to light or just bring up again, maybe about your work and how to interact with it? And I don't know, just the hot jobs report seems like a great resource for people. What else? How else can people interact with your work? You can visit all of the work at intulsa.com. Go to the business section. From there, you can get workforce analytics, and you'll be able to dive more into our research. Uh, you'll be able to see some of the 
material that we've published throughout the years. And then you can also see the Hot Jobs Report if you subscribe to the In Tulsa, In Tulsa newsletter as well, and you can get that monthly. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you both for being on this episode of Grow With Us. For our listeners of Grow With Us, I'd like to plug a few resources that might be helpful for you. If you'd like to stay in touch with all of our future jobs and opportunities at Intulsa, then please join our talent network. You can join at talent.intulsa.com. That's talent.intulsa.com. By joining our talent network, you'll get access to our newsletter where you can stay up to date with our latest career advice, featured opportunities with Intulsa partner companies, and our placement success stories. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when more episodes of Grow With Us are released. Let us know what you think about how we're doing by rating and reviewing. Huge thank you to our editors at Rant9 Production and Jesse Ulrich. This has been Grow With Us.